You don't really ever, you understand that, hey, just tune it out in one ear, out the other, all that stuff. Those things are easy to say, but when you're living it, you have a different appreciation for it. And I think as I became an older college football player, junior, senior year, that's where people could uh, shit on me, excuse my language, but shit on me and, 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 and do that. And it doesn't really phase me because I've been so used to it. And then uh, when my football career really didn't work out, and now I am, there are articles out there that say I am the biggest bust in the last decade of college football or the biggest bust since all the rec- internet recruiting rankings happened and bust is where basically a guy that had expectations and didn't get it done those things aren't fun to hear but it doesn't really get to me like it would for most because i feel like i've done the work and I've, I've, it's nothing new to me welcome back to the well now what podcast i'm your host savannah today's guest is max brown i'm so excited for you guys all to hear his story because his journey is incredible and you can tell that fear and failure doesn't stop him. It actually lifts him up and it gave him a lot of perspective. In today's episode, we chat about how he was the number one football recruit in the United States, losing his job to a younger quarterback, suffering a career-ending injury, starting a career in social media with no prior experience, and how football serves him in his career today. I hope you enjoy this episode. I'm here with the inspiring Max Brown. Max Brown was the number one football recruit in the United States and offered a full-ride scholarship to USC at the age of 14. Newspaper outlets even cited him as the next Peyton Manning. But once he began his career at USC, no one expected what would happen next, especially not Max. He actually opened up about a story on his girlfriend's Victoria's podcast, the real pod, where he talked about the most devastating and painful time in his life. So failing as a quarterback in college football, so not fulfilling the goals he had planned for. For people who aren't too familiar with the sport, if you're at the number one recruiting spot, it's believed that you have a real chance to play in the NFL. And when I'd listened to the episode, it honestly brought me to tears because you could really tell how much pain um, he was in. And failing is something that you, we all go through. Doesn't matter if you're an NCA athlete, we all go through it in our careers and personal life. So Max, for people that don't know your story, do you mind sharing when you started to play football? And when was that moment that you knew you had a chance to play professionally? Yeah, of course. And uh, first off, thanks for having me on. This is great to be here. But uh, yeah, so I started playing football at five years old. I'm in a sports household. My oldest brother was kind of the, he was the first quarterback at my high school, uh, in my local community. And so, uh, for, I, I really don't remember life without football, to be honest. Um, and so I started at five years old and at a really early age, to be honest, I, I knew kind of my talent, uh, was, was different, I guess you could say. And, um, probably as early as like fourth or fifth grade, um, that in terms of youth sports, it was one of those things where I played quarterback and my team was the only team that passed the football, every other team, like they just didn't have a kid that young that could throw, um, and so at that early of an age, I realized this might be something. And then obviously in the years coming, it kind of cranked up and it really got serious in like middle school. And then I started from my high school, my sophomore year. And that's really when, when things started to turn the corner and some of the ratings and the national stuff you referenced really started to really started to, to come about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when you, what was, what are the requirements to get like for, for people that don't really know how the sport works, what are the requirements really to get recruited for, um, college schools? Yeah, it's not a perfect science. That's for sure. It's not a matter of just kind of checking the boxes and then you're going to get, you're going to get offered. There, there, there's a bunch of things. I think first you have to have the skill. So 
I'm lucky I'm, I have the height and the size to play at that level. Um, and then secondly, I think in high school, you have to have the film, right? You have to have, you have to have stuff to back up what you're doing. And uh, I was fortunate enough. I had a lot of stats. I threw for a lot of touchdowns, had a lot of things go my way in high school at an earlier age, at a sophomore year of high school, junior year of high school. And so that got me in some of the the first team all conference and the first team all state and some of those accolades, I guess you could say, kind of put you on the map. And then third, I think it's important to have, I went to a bigger high school in the state of Washington. I went to a high school that had a lot of success. We won state championships, not even just me. My high school was on the Seattle times and, and stuff like that. So I went to high school that was noteworthy, and that's not necessarily, not necessarily something you have to do, but it definitely helped me in that I was in a market that uh, allowed me to, uh, be a known guy and not to get too into the weeds, but the the quarterback before me at my high school, he was also a big recruit. So when I was a young quarterback kind of coming in, it was, Hey, who's going to replace Jake heaps. And so even at a younger age, uh, I kind of had the pressure and the spotlight on me before I even did anything because of the situation I was in. So all those factors kind of come together and I was able to take advantage of them. And, and, and it kind of worked out in my favor to go to the school I wanted to. And, I don't say this arrogantly, but I could have gone to any school in the country I wanted to. And all those factors kind of come came together to, to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you had multiple offers. And why did you pick USC specifically? Bunch of reasons. I think the first one was at the time, SC, USC was uh, the top team in the country. So uh, in, in the spring of 2011, when I, or spring of 2012, when I committed, they were literally the, the number one team in college football. Um, and so it was, that was an easy sell. And there were some other factors, like I had an opportunity to play early, which is a big thing in, in athletics. Um, they did not take a quarterback. They did not recruit a quarterback in the grade uh, before me. So that was advantageous. Uh, for me, SC and for football fans that, that don't really know, USC is like the premier program on the West Coast and maybe haven't had as much success in the last decade. But overall, uh, the past 50 years, they are the premier program. So for me, being a West Coast kid, that was kind of the pin- pinnacle and I wanted to go play for a school that was top notch. And so that uh, it worked out for me and uh, a bunch of factors came together to make that happen. Yeah. And do you remember the first day um, at USC during your fall camp? Like, did you have a lot of folks, everyone knew who you were. Did you have a lot of pressure and expectations? That's a good question. So I actually, actually graduated high school early, which that's kind of a thread in itself. So my first day, uh, I guess I started at USC in January when most guys start in like June or July kind of thing. Um, but that, that first day, I just remember it being a whole different world in terms of the game was a lot faster. Things that used to come easy to me in high school sports now was stuff that I was having to think about and, and having to adjust to. And at the time, I remember thinking just, hey, that's what all freshmen go through. And in large part, that's what does happen. Anytime you have a new job or anything, it's it's something you have to adjust to. But I just remember it being like, this isn't Skyline High School anymore. This isn't uh, kind of the, the area that I that I used to own. Um, it, it was having to, having to adjust. And that first spring and fall camp, I was in a position battle. So uh, to try to be the starting quarterback. So that was pressure even more. But at USC, that's the thing is everyone's a big recruit. Maybe not as big as I was, but everyone's relatively big. Everyone's all conference coming from wherever they're coming from. So it wasn't like guys were looking at me any differently because they're all big recruits. Mm-hmm. But I think outside the pressure definitely uh, or the expectations were definitely there. And I was I was there to play and, and make things happen. So it was 
it was definitely uh, super intense. Yeah. And you were saying that, so as a, for, to get to the first, um, like quarterback first string, do you, you need to like battle for that position? So what is that relationship like? Because obviously they're your teammates, but you're still trying to beat them as well. Yeah, it, so Yeah, exactly. And I think that, that kind of gets back to your first question is what's it like when you first kind of interact with them? It's, it's definitely awkward. I think we're, we're all there to, be that starting quarterback at USC, bring the program back to prominence, and then ultimately go to the NFL and get drafted. And it's really hard to do that if you don't play. So we're all compete with each other. And I think those first couple of weeks, it's definitely, we- it's definitely weird. Everyone's trying to fill each other out. But there comes a point where you're spending so much time with these guys that you do become friends. You do become legit teammates because life just is a lot harder if you're not. If you're trying to be Mr. High and Mighty or Mr. Tough Guy all the time, that just makes it hard on, on yourself. And so after a few weeks, I think when everyone kind of fills each other out and realizes, Hey, he's a good dude. I'm a good dude. Uh, you kind of move past that, but don't get it twisted. I mean, we're all battling to get that starting job and to play and, uh, and, and flat out beat the other guy. And that becomes, uh, that becomes intense in itself. Right. Yeah. So you're finally starting is, was it in your third year you started or was it in your last year? In my fourth year. So I redshirted, but so like my redshirt junior year was when I finally started. Yeah. And then you said um, that you lost your job to a younger quarterback. So how did that feel for you? Did your teammates, again, did they treat you any differently? What was the, your experience there? Yeah. And that was up to your point when you did the intro, that was kind of the, the toughest part in, in my life. Uh, and there's a lot of backstory and I won't, I won't go in, in, in super the weeds, but for, for sports fans that are listening, the guy that beat me out is Sam Darnold. He's uh, the starting quarterback for the New York Jets right now. He's uh, a big name NFL quarterback. And uh, at the time, that wasn't the case. At the time, he was just kind of an up-and-comer, uh, up-and-coming young guy. But uh, I was a redshirt junior. Like, like all the things we've said, I was an older guy. Uh, I'd paid my dues. I had stayed there. I didn't transfer when I got a bunch of guys in my situation transfer to try to find playing time elsewhere. I kind of had paid my dues, and I thought it was my time. And uh, to keep a long story short, I we played uh, what I would argue is the best defense ever in college football. My first start, uh, played Alabama, they're the defending national champions, and we didn't have success. And uh, I ended up getting benched after that that third week, and uh, it's devastating, right? I mean, I put not only my whole college career, uh, the the work you put in for for that season, and to have success, but my whole life, right? You, we, I mentioned since I was like five years old, like this was the dream, right? To have success. And I always kind of prided myself on a guy who did the things necessary to have success. And when those things don't happen, that's gut wrenching. It plays with your head it messes with your mind. And I think those are, uh, those were, were hard, uh, hard, hard things for me to, to handle and are still hard for me to handle. That's a big reason why I do share my story is I'm a guy where things should have worked out. They should have, I mean, they should have gone according to plan and, and been perfect, but they didn't. And how do you handle that? And it was tough then. Uh, it's still hard now, but uh, I've tried to channel those lessons to kind of better my life moving forward. Yeah. And yeah, what you went through was on full display and for the world to see, and it was constantly bombarded in your face. And I'm sure you still probably get it now. So after a while, did you just tune it out or are you just, did you just learn to face it? Learn to face it. I think uh, more so, I guess both. You learn to, t- 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 to tone it out, um, but I, I, it comes in phases, right? I remember even in like middle school, I remember that, hey, I'm going to be the guy that people are eyeing and I can't be the guy that screws up and I got to be the guy that has uh, kind of sets the example. So I kind of, it started small, right? I always remember kind of having that pressure and those expectations. And then it heightens when you get to SC and 
I remember when I was a young guy at, S- at USD, a freshman or sophomore, I would pay attention to what was going on in my Twitter feed. I would pay attention to what people are saying and that stuff would kind of get to me. But then that's, that's where like, I am proud of myself and, and, and do push this for other people is I did put in the work to grow past that and not get attached to those tweets and the hate from fans and the articles that would come out that saying I'm, I'm a huge bust and I'm a failure and all that. I think as I grew older at SC, you, you, you learn to tone that out and you learn by experience. It was kind of a trial by fire thing. It's something mm-hmm. that I lived and uh, you don't really ever, you understand that, hey, just tune it out in one ear, out the other, all that stuff. Those things are easy to say, but when you're living it, you have a different appreciation for it. And I think as I became an older college football player, junior, senior year, that's where people could uh, shit on me, excuse my language, but shit on me and, 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 and do that. And it doesn't really phase me because I'd been so used to it. And then uh, when my football career really didn't work out. And now I am, there are articles out there that say I am the biggest bust in the last decade of college football or the biggest bust since all the rec- internet recruiting rankings happened. And bust is where basically a guy that had expectations and didn't get it done. Those things aren't fun to hear, but it doesn't really get to me like it would for most because I feel like I've done the work and I've, I, I, it's not new to me. And so uh, that's a big reason why I share my story. And uh, to, to kind of circle back into your question, it's, it's something that uh, you just kind of don't pay attention to now, or I guess it doesn't impact you, impact you, but it's a, it's because this has been something that's been in my life for a decade or so. Right. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And you went on later to play for Pittsburgh and then you suffered um, a really terrible injury. So when that happened, did you think to yourself, this is it, I'm not, I won't be able to play anymore. Did you still have that hope? Still had the hope. Uh, it's one of those things where the competitor in you, when it, when you're going through it, it's like, ah, this isn't, uh, this is this isn't the end. Like we'll, we'll battle back. We'll do all that. But looking back as I'm kind of the dust has settled and, and football's in the rearview mirror at that point in my career, I'm a, I'm a redshirt senior. It's my last leg of college football. And I'm walking out with a right, pretty bad, very bad right shoulder injury. And I throw with my right arm. That's where you kind of know, like looking back logically, I, I think I knew right there, like this is going to be a super tough climb. And uh, mm-hmm. I still had hope and, and still would train for, uh, 15, 16 months after that to give professional football a go. But uh, yeah, that was a test. And it was one of those things where uh, I say to this day that getting benched was actually harder on me mentally than the, the, than the, the injury itself, because at that point I'd been kind of used to it and it's something you, you had been, I had been through. And so it was kind of like, all right, here we go again. And so those are the things that you kind of build up that armor and you build up that uh, perseverance. And those are the lessons that a lot of the things I try to try to use today, because it does give you a different perspective when you have gone through those things, not only the physical pain, but the mental pain from the, your, your inside voice, what you're telling yourself, but then also to your previous question about kind of what other people say about that mm-hmm. uh, definitely, uh, definitely stays with you forever. Yeah. And did you envision yourself doing anything else um, instead of football? Like, did you have any other career goals like while you were in college or was it just football? That's a good question. Um, it's one of those things where I was not naive to the realities of the world, right? Like I knew football wasn't going to end forever. And so I think a lot of guys say, I'm, I'm tunnel vision. I only can think football. I, I'm a football player through and through. I wasn't like that. I was aware that, hey, there's going to come a day where I have to move on. And I thought that day would come when I'm 38, uh, 20 years after I kind of graduated high school. I thought, hey, that's, that's when I'll worry about that chapter. But I knew that chapter was out there. Mm-hmm. And I did well in school and, and would talk with people and would think that, hey, life's gonna, there's going to be life after football, which a lot of guys don't. But I will say, 
I just, I never thought it was going to happen as fast as it did. I never thought that I never thought I in college, I was like, Oh, I'll always play in the NFL. I'll play for 10 years. I'll play for 15, 20 years. And mm-hmm. sure. I'll go to school and I'll get good grades, but I won't ever have to have to use them. I won't ever have to use these degrees. That was always kind of my mindset. Uh, and I'm glad I had the awareness and the self-discipline to, to, to take advantage of that alternate route because I'm having, it's helping me now, but uh, I'd be lying if I said I ever had like actual plans to at 25 uh, not be playing football. Yeah. Right. So when you decided later on to get like your first kind of real job outside of football, you didn't have any previous experience, right? Because you were so focused, so focused on football. So how did you kind of land your first job? Like how did you present yourself since your resume wasn't super full? Yeah, you're spot on. I had uh, being a division one football player, they, they make you uh, take summer school, which is a blessing, but I never had a job. I never had a, a real job. So when I moved on from football at like 24, I'm starting fresh. And when all your your peers at that age, when I'm football is no longer a thing and all your peers have six years of work experience, at least that does put you behind the eight ball. But how I got my job is uh, it's kind of a story coming full circle is I actually called the guy that beat me out, um, Sam Darnold. He's the the quarterback we referenced. And um, he obviously has some weight because of his name. And there was a guy that I wanted to work with. It was a guy guy by the name of Gary Vaynerchuk, um, who might might that name might mean something to your your audience he's he's popular on social media and whatnot and i wanted to work from him i liked what he was doing i liked the things he he had going on i liked the way he was wired it really spoke to me and i said hey i want to go out there and work for this guy i didn't want to chase the money i I wanted to say hey i'll go take a minimum minimum wage job just to learn from him and and get that experience and so i i moved out to new york uh i was in los angeles at the time and said hey i gotta turn the page i gotta i gotta find out what my lane is. And that's what, something I'm still figuring out. But uh, that was kind of my first chess piece is kind of how I talk about it. And it all became about because of leveraging my network, but also kind of not to put myself up on a pedestal, but putting my ego to, to a side and saying, hey, I'm going to call up the guy that's living the life I should be living and asking for his help and saying, hey, I, if uh, if you could help me out, that'd mean a lot. And that's kind of how that job happened. And uh, that's that's kind of springboarded my career and I'm only 18 months into post football life, but uh, that, that's kind of how I got my first job. Right. And did you take a break between football and your job or did you, did you just go right away? Like, how did you take that time to like reassess what was going on? Yeah, it was kind of right away um, to give the short time frame. So I got hurt in October of 2017. Uh, I would then train for the NFL for another 18 or 16 months. So while you're training, you still have a lot of hours in the day. I'm not going to school anymore. Like there's only so much rehab you can do. So I started like my own YouTube channel, which is how I got into like some of the broadcasting stuff I do. I like worked for a guy on the side a little bit, just helping him out. But then, so I had to work out with the Washington Redskins and the Pittsburgh Steelers, two NFL teams, like right before Christmas of 2018. And then those workouts happen. Christmas break for lack of a better term kind of happened. And then uh, kind of mid January, I realized, Hey, this isn't happening, uh, to keep a long story short, this isn't happening. And then that's kind of when the networking thing started. And then I moved out to New York kind of right, right away in February and the new job happened and away we went. So I guess there was like technically a break, but not really. It wasn't like I was like sitting on the couch for a few months kind of thing. 
For sure. Wow. Like you are, you've been like such a positive mindset since you've been through all this. And what are, did you take any, like, did you get any outside help? Did you talk to like any therapists or your family and friends or what did you do? Yeah. Um, I think one, I always attested a lot as I'm lucky enough to have two parents that kind of wired me this way. My, both my parents are even keeled, very level-headed, logical thinkers. And I think I observed how they lived their life, which was emotion was not, and I mean this in the best way possible, emotion was not a thing that is, like when you see my dad, he's not an emotional dude, he's very level-headed. And I think when a lot of these negative things happened in my life, that's how I'm wired is, all right, that happened, what's the next step? All right, that happened, how do we, how do we improve? How do we grow? And that was kind of ingrained in myself, but I'd be lying, uh, some of the stuff I was born with, um, but I think I just have put myself in these positions to kind of learn from it. And I, I've referenced it a couple of times in this podcast, but a lot of these things, I don't know life without it. I don't know life without the pressure. And honestly, it's weird at 25 dealing with life without pressure, you know, like that for so long in my life, those expectations uh, kind of was just all, all I knew about life. But um, I will say I did see a sports psych for uh, two different stints during college. So a sports psychologist when I was when I was struggling and um, I, I do speak up because I think a lot of people, when they think of, Hey, I need to go see a sports psych. It's people that are like really down in the dumps. It's people that are really, really struggling. And those people need, they need it. And that's great. I was a guy that just, I needed someone to talk to. I wasn't like off the walls, but I wasn't great. And I knew that and I knew I wasn't playing well. And so that did help. I did go and talk to people. And when I did get benched, I, had the self-awareness to say, Hey, I don't want to go down a negative path. I knew my world was getting turned upside down. I knew that, Hey, there are some guys that the realities are, they turn to drug and alcohol. They turn to other measures when things like this happen and the outside world is on their case and all that. So I remember having the wherewithal to check myself into a sports psych and kind of talk to, talk to, uh, talk to someone there. I think just by and large, all it kind of comes down to is I've I've always tried to like leave my ego at the door and learn from the mistakes of others. And that was something that you see guys that go down negative paths. And I wanted to learn from not doing that and guys that maybe have success or climb, they're able to dig themselves out of a hole. What have they done? And I've always tried to try to kind of take a page out of their book and, uh, and incorporate it into my own life. Mm-hmm. No, no. Yeah, that, that's amazing. And I see that you now work in social media mostly, right? And so from nine to five, you're working with Lewis House, which is incredible. That is such a great achievement to have. And then you're also working um, at Sirius XM. So could, do you mind explaining what you do in both of those um, jobs? Yep. So um, I am the social media and content manager for Lewis House. He's a, uh, he runs a, a top podcast uh, called The School of Greatness. And so I kind of manage all the uh, the content and the social media efforts for him. Um, and how I kind of got down that lane was for, as a byproduct of the previous guy I mentioned. So Gary Vaynerchuk, he's popular in the social media world. So that's kind of how that happened. Um, but uh, that's, like I said, the, the bio you're reading, at, uh, the Lewis Housier, that's my nine to five job. So that's, that's kind of what, what, what pays the bills, I guess you could say. And then on the other side, I do um, broadcasting work for uh, a few different networks, uh, Sirius XM. Uh, I do it for like the Pac-12, Pac-12 network uh, for them, a little bit of ESPNU. And then I also do it for a network called Stadium uh, and then a few smaller networks. And that's more football based, college football based, uh, being an analyst, breaking down film, doing segments, kind of that whole world. And so those gigs kind of come up uh, once or twice a week. So it's not the time commitment's not a full time gig, but it is a, is something that I uh, a passion of mine that I want to pursue. I want to stay involved with football. I want to stay involved with the game. I do stuff with 
USC, the school I transferred from. So I do um, stuff on the radio pre and post game for them. So mm-hmm. I'm in the early stages of it, but uh, kind of both lanes are something that I'm pursuing uh, career wise right now. Yeah. And um, I know obviously football was your passion. What about what you're doing now? Like, where do you see your career um, down the line? Is this something that you've learned to love? Yeah, I think that's, that's, what's cool. That's why I do share a lot about my story is I'm figuring that out. Uh, I don't know. That's, that's the simple answer. I, I think I've, I've found the beauty in social media and I, I, I enjoy what I do, but I also long-term, like, I don't know if that's what it is for me. And I've only been involved in one industry in terms of the business world. And that's kind of the, the social brand, social media branding marketing side. So uh, the simple answer is, I don't know. Um, I think the the five-year plan is, uh, I do love kind of taking some of the lessons that I w- that made me a captain on the football field. I enjoy leading people. I enjoy doing projects that are moving the needle. That's why I liked working for Lewis and Gary. And um, I, in the perfect world, I love kind of manage my own business or my own lane within a company or something like that. So that's kind of, I, I see myself continuing on the, on the, on some sort of business pursuit, but on the broadcasting side, I would love to call, big time college football games on Saturday in the booth. So being a color commentator is, is the, the, the professional term, but I would love to do that. And I think I can do both, but uh, I'm still figuring that out uh, in so many respects on my own. And as so many athletes do uh, when they, when they turn the page and, and say goodbye to their sport. And yeah, you mentioned that Sam was living or is living the life that you should have lived. And do you really believe that you, should have had that life? Like, do you think things just kind of happened for a reason? Because what happened to you um, is inspiring so many people, like the story that you have. So do you think you should have, you should be living that life? Yeah. And should is it like relative terms? I guess it's kind of like how that nets nets out with each individual. But to answer your question, I think the answer to that is yes. And uh, I'll kind of explain what, what, why I say that is when I look back at the expectations that I had and then the investment that I put in mm-hmm. uh, to having those dreams come come true, like, yes, it should have worked out. And that's kind of why I speak up so loudly is that's what kind of eats at people. That's what kills people is when things should work out and they don't, then it's you go down the, the path of being bitter and being having resentment and kind of the, the, the poor me and all that. Um, like, I should be that guy. I should be an NFL starting quarterback, but I'm not. And don't get me wrong. Like if I should, then if my talent was there, then you'd make it happen and you persevere. And so I totally get that. But in terms of should have my path worked out? Yeah. Uh, but then on the same token, like I would never trade lives with Sam Darnold. That's his life. My life is um, in that regard. Like uh, there's part of me that everything does happen for a reason. And there's, a, I do believe that there's a reason I'm sitting here and things didn't work out. So on the other, on the other side, it's like, well, no, it shouldn't have worked out. So I guess it comes in both sides and um, I, like I said, I would never trade lives with someone else. There's a lot of guys that were in my recruiting class that are now NFL starting quarterbacks or guys that I competed with. Uh, basically every guy that I had a competition battle with in college is playing in the NFL. I'm the one guy that's not. And so that's like, that, that, that doesn't add up either. And so I guess it comes in both sides. And even though I am positive, which I do appreciate that and all that, I am real in that, uh, that, that, that isn't the most fun side to, to, to talk about. And uh, so, yeah, I guess I look at it in kind of both sides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what are some of the skills that you learned um, as a quarterback that you're using today in your everyday life or your jobs? The leadership's one for sure uh, on the day to day. I was I was a captain at both schools at USC and Pitt when I transferred later. 
uh, I think managing, not managing people, that sounds too professional, but dealing with a bunch of different people, right? Especially in football uh, and especially at USC, you have guys from all walks of life, single parent households, low income, high income, walk on scholarship, older, younger. Uh, and I think being a quarterback, you have to know how to vibe with different guys, how to push people in different ways. And so I think getting along with different people, that's one thing for sure. But uh, the, the work ethic as well. I mean, if you're the quarterback and all eyes are on you, like you have to set the standard. You have to be that guy uh, being vocal, being able to talk like all those tri- all those skills. They definitely translate later, uh, later in life. And especially with football, just because it is, as they say, the ultimate team sport that definitely, uh, definitely carries over. But other traits like perspective, I think because of all the pressure, the legitimate pressure that I had to play with in high school and in college, but I, and pressure doesn't have to be negative though. That pressure is something I miss. I, I miss ha- being able to go out on Saturdays and, and have, and feeling like every throw I make like matters and all that stuff. That's something that I crave and miss, but I think it also gives you a perspective that uh, later in life, if I, have a typo in an email, it's not really that big of a deal. And maybe that's not a big deal to anyone, but the, the, the point still holds true of uh, when that, when you're used to that pressure kind of uh, puts everything else in life into check. Yeah, totally. And just a last question. Um, what advice do you have for not even just student athletes, but anyone out there post-grad? Um, they're kind of scared of failure. Like as soon as you graduate, you're kind of entering the real world, as people say. So um, yeah, do you have any general advice for that? Totally. I think uh, I'm big into leaning into fear. And that, that's something that probably a lot of people have have, have heard. But the more you lean into it, uh, the less scary it becomes. And that's something that has given me a lot of peace of mind at 25 is my fear of failure is very, very low because from how I'm wired, it doesn't, I can't fail any bigger than I already have, which is like weird to say, kind of like, oh, Max, no, nah, you could go out and do this. But like, I could build up a huge company and it could tank the next day and it would not, not compare in terms of the level of failure of my playing career. And there are people that push back on that and, Oh no, you didn't fail. You played at a high level, but you can at least see where I'm coming from in terms of what I was supposed to do and whatnot. And so that's given me a lot of peace of mind at 25 to, okay, I feel if the fear of failure is kind of out the door, it's allowed me to go move to New York city and try this. It's allowed me to go and do this. It's allowed me to start my own YouTube channel and put my face out there. And maybe this will work. Maybe this will be the dumbest thing ever, but it also could work. And I think those though that that train of thought is a direct process of leaning into fear of putting myself in those situations that hey if it doesn't work out it'll still be a lesson it'll it'll build build up that armor and so i think for people just getting out of it it's go out and taste different things if there's something that's on on your mind or you want to go try it you've got to go try it because regret that'll kill you and the fear and failure when it happens like Yes, it sucks at the time, but in hindsight, then it just, you kind of build up an armor and it's all, it doesn't really bother you as much anymore. And that's definitely something that I'm living with right now is uh, a a lot of freedom as a result of uh, kind of experiencing my worst nightmare, you guess you, I guess you could say. And um, that's kind of, kind of where I'm at right now. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me, sharing your story. Um, It was so inspiring. And at 25 years old, it feels like you've lived just a lifetime of just so much reflection and knowledge. And I'm I'm just two years younger than you. And I feel like I have way more um, to learn. So yeah, thank you so much for sharing. And I can't wait to um, publish this episode. 
Of course, yeah. No, thanks for having me on, and I share a bunch of my my story. If if this if this struck a chord with you, I mm-hmm. share a bunch of my stuff on on Instagram at uh, Max Brown Four is my uh, Instagram handle, and connect with me on LinkedIn and Twitter as well. But uh, no, thanks for having me on, Savannah. This was uh, this was great. And that was Max Brown. Make sure to check him out on Instagram and YouTube. I'll have his link to all his socials in the description. And if you want to hear more of his story, definitely check out Victoria Garrick's podcast, The Real Pod, where he opens up about his entire journey. So thank you so much for listening. And let me know what you think um, in the review section of this episode and any of the episodes in general. See you next week.